Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing today? I pray that you're well. I'm here with you live. It's so good to be with you. Um, and I pray that you're having a most holy Lent, that you're really um, having as little to do. I know it's the season of Christmas parties and decorating and lights and all of that, but it shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be. It's what the world has become. The world has turned the celebration of the birth of our Savior into its own interest, into its own event. But it's it has little to do with truly the Christ born in Bethlehem. You know, in the Old Testament, I've mentioned this before, when our Lord appeared on Mount Sinai before the people, he didn't show himself. He simply would uh, thunder on the mountain and nobody would see him. And the people, because of his coming there, would be told to fast, to not uh, have marital relations, uh, to bathe, to be cleansed, to be purified of their sins, all of that in preparation for only coming near the mountain. They couldn't come very near. They couldn't touch the mountain um, because God is holy. And it is the same God, beloved, who came down and thundered, on Mount Sinai that we receive in the Eucharist. That was also Christ. No one has ever seen the Father. That was also the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God who thundered on Mount Sinai, who created Mount Sinai, who created the entire world. It is the same Christ born of the Virgin Mary that we receive in Holy Communion. And we know that he's coming Uh, We remember his birth at Christmas, but we know that he's here with us, and we know that he lives in us, and we receive the Eucharist uh, daily, if not only on Sunday. Um, And we go on about our lives as if nothing really happens, and nothing much to fear, and yet it is the same fearful God. Uh, The scriptures say it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So all the stores and the shopping, it just shouldn't be the case. It really should not be the case. Christmas has nothing to do with gifts. It is the birth of the Savior to be worshipped. And in the old days, the the time for giving gifts after the manner of St. Nicholas, who became known as Santa Claus, uh, uh, Santa Nicholas, um, uh, is December 6th, and uh, he brought gifts to children then and to others. Um, but it, uh, it became connected with Christmas, but it's December 6th, and Christmas is solely the birth of Christ that begins Christmas Eve. Uh, and all of Advent, just like the people of the Old Testament needed to prepare to even stand a distance from the mountain when he appeared, 
um, only they only know that he could he appeared because of the thunder. Nothing else. They couldn't hear his voice. They couldn't hear anything. Moses did alone, went up to the mountain and spoke with God, came down and his face was so gleaming from God, glowing, that he had to put a veil over it. They couldn't even look at his face. And we just go about our business and day after Christmas it's over and it shouldn't be over, beloved. Christmas Eve is the beginning, not the end uh, of Christmas. We should prepare for Christmas Eve through Advent, by penance, by prayer, by silence, um, by preparing to meet the God of the universe. That's how we should prepare. And our Christmas shopping ideally should be done before Advent. Um, Here, the daughters of Mary, mother of Israel's hope, we don't even send Christmas cards out until Christmas week. We do spend all of Advent Uh, as a time of prayer and penance and fasting and abstinence the entire month. Uh, And so somehow, beloved, gather your family together and have at least an Advent wreath, light that wreath, um, at least at dinner at night, and say the Advent prayers as a family and include some form of fasting and prayer together. We've been looking at the liturgical year by Adam Prosper Garanger. And um, uh, let's see now. I wanted to start reading uh, to you um, what would be the third practice of the, the third rather chapter of the book. And, it would, and it's titled The Practice During Advent. Now, um, I know that much of this has gone and it's no longer the case today, but um, much of it can be practiced by us. We met a couple in church a week ago who wanted to be married, and they were told that they could not marry during Advent. And that's right. There should be no marriages during the season of Advent and of Lent because it's a penitential time. And as I mentioned before, in the Old Testament, uh married couples were asked to refrain from marital relations during that preparation time. So there's no marriage during Advent or Lent. And if your priest is marrying you uh, during this season, um, he's not right, and you should postpone your wedding. Out of honor to God, without whom you will not have a marriage. Let me read this now. The practice during Advent and Dom Garanger wrote this in the 1800s, but truth is truth, and practices change, and unfortunately in our day, many of them have been gone by the wayside. Our holy days of obligation are given up. Uh, we're really not just losing the faith, but being robbed of it, and it shouldn't happen. We should return to the faith of our fathers and really learn what it means to be Catholic. So... Dom Geringer says, if our Holy Mother Church, hold on now, let me get this in a better position to read to you. One moment, please. I have this little little light, this little light of mine. We're going to make it shine and be able to read the book. Okay. If our Holy Mother, the Church, spends the time of Advent 
in the solemn preparation for the threefold coming of Jesus Christ. If after, and you know what the threefold coming is, first at his birth, then with the advent of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost to come into our hearts, to change our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, and finally at his second coming, which we also look for at Advent. If after the example of the prudent virgins, she, the church, us, keeps her lamp lit, ready for the coming of the bridegroom, we being her members and her children, ought to enter into her spirit and apply to ourselves this warning of our Savior. Let your loins be girt and lamps burning in your hands, and ye yourselves be like unto men who wait for their Lord. The church and we have in reality the same hopes, each one of us on the part of God, an object of mercy and care, Each one of us is on the part of God, an object of mercy and care, as is the church herself. If she is the temple of God, it is because she is built of living stones. That's what we are, beloved, living stones. If she is the bride, it is because she consists of all the souls which are invited to eternal union with God. If it is written that the Savior hath purchased the church with his own blood, may not each one of us say of himself those words of St. Paul, Christ hath loved me and hath delivered himself up for me? And some of you out there, I could already be thinking, well, I don't know that he's loved me, loved the world, but I don't know that he loved me. Well, the fact is, Uh, There's no exception in his death. He died for the world, for every soul in it. And the God of the whole earth did not die for a single soul whom he did not love. So we need to get our focus off us and put it on God and begin to thank him for his love for us, regardless of our feelings. Love is a verb. It's what God does, not what he feels. And in fact, our love, the true definition of love, is based on what love does. The love chapter of the scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love does not hold a grievance, Uh, love is forgiving, all of that. That's what love does. It doesn't have anything to do with a feeling in that chapter. It's the definition of love. Love gives. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And you say, well, I don't feel his love. Well, that's there are many reasons for that. But that has nothing to do with the fact that God is love. And that's what he does. He cannot not love, even in his justice, and even in his holiness, even with our due punishment. He loves. Whom he loves, he chastens. Our destiny being the same then as that of the church, we should endeavor um, during Advent to enter into the spirit of preparation, which is, as we have seen, that of the church herself. We don't have a single light here in our priory if you came to visit us. We don't have a light except the candles we normally light during the year. 
Um, there's no Christmas tree. There's no lights up. There's no sign of Christmas. There's only purple covering our altar, even our refectory table. It's a time of penance in preparation for the coming of the Lord. <clears throat> we even have a little statue of Mary uh, that shows her being pregnant with our Lord. And firstly, it is our duty to join with the saints of the old law in asking for the Messiah and thus pay the debt which the whole human race owes to the divine mercy. In order to fulfill this duty with fervor, let us go back in thought to those 4,000 years represented by the four weeks of Advent. Have you thought of that? I hadn't. 4,000 years. We've changed 40 days of Advent, really, into four Advent weeks, and they represent the 4,000 years of Advent, a 1,000 years for each week, and we can reflect on the darkness and crime which filled the world before our Savior's coming. Our hearts to be filled with loving gratitude toward him who saved his creature man from death and who came down from heaven that he might know our miseries by himself experiencing them. Remember the scripture says that our Lord was tempted in all points as we, yet without sin. Which means, beloved, that our Lord experienced suffering and temptation greater than we, any of us, ever will. Because we, when we sin, we give in to the temptation. We give in to the pressure. We give in. And we um, we eliminate the suffering. We don't want it anymore, so we give in and we sin. We don't want the temptation. We don't want to live with uh, whatever causes us to sin, any kind of sin. Uh, sexual sin, gluttony, um, uh, adoring any human being more than God, that's idolatry, uh, neglecting our rightful duties as Christians uh, by commission, by omission, all of that. We don't want any more. We've been good for a week. It's time to sin. It's time to let down. Our Lord never let down. And he experienced pain and suffering more than any of us ever did or ever will because he never sinned. He never gave in. Notwithstanding his having saved the work of his hands, he still wishes us to beseech him to save us. Let, therefore, our desires and our confidence have their free utterance in the ardent supplications of the ancient prophets, which the Church puts on our lips during these days of expectation. Let us give our closest attention to the sentiments which they express. Waiting for the Lord, beloved, is an exciting thing, but it's, it should be, it is, and it should be more fearful than exciting. When Moses told Israel to purify themselves because the Lord would appear on Mount Sinai, they did so with fear and trembling. It is a holy thing. It is a fearful thing, the writer of the Hebrews says, a fearful thing to come before the living God. It's a fearful thing. And they trembled with fear. Now, looking back on our Savior's coming, we should love indeed, but there should be fear 
if there's not a certain fear that the God of the whole world is going to visit us, and even our house, as we place the baby in the manger, then there's something wrong with our understanding of God. Then we've made him one of us. This first duty complied with, we must next turn our minds to the coming which our Savior wishes to accomplish in our own hearts. Excuse me a moment. (coughs) It is, as we have seen, a coming full of sweetness and mystery, and a consequence of the first For the good shepherd comes not only to visit the flock in general, but he extends his solicitude to each one of the sheep, even to the hundredth which is lost. Now, in order to appreciate the whole of his ineffable mystery, we must remember that since we can be pleasing to our Heavenly Father only inasmuch as he sees within his Son, as he sees within us, his Son, Jesus Christ. This amiable Savior deigns to come into each one of us and transform us, if we will but consent, into himself, so that henceforth we may live, not we, but he in us. This is in reality the one grand aim of the Christian religion, to make man divine, through Jesus Christ. It is the task which God has given to his church to do. And she says to the faithful what St. Paul said to the Galatians, my little children, of whom I am in labor again until Christ be formed within you. That's how we're made like unto God, that Christ be formed in us until that day where the psalmist wrote, we shall awaken his likeness. Dom Garanger continues. <clears throat> but as on his entering into the world, our divine Savior first showed himself under the form of a weak babe before attaining the fullness of the age of manhood, and this to the end that nothing might be wanting to his sacrifice so does he intend to do in us. There is to be a progress in, the, in his growth within us. Now it is at the feast of Christmas that he delights to be born in our souls and that he pours out over the whole church a grace of being born, to which, however, not all are faithful. I'm going to stop there, beloved, just to to um, to say something about a caller. Um, let's see now. I th- I don't know if it was Monday or last week. I I lost track of that. But um, it was a woman who called, and 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 she might be listening now. And I pray that you're not offended by this. But I was a bit startled by the call. It's a woman who is, uh, describes herself a thorough Catholic and has taught in public schools for 
I think she said 35 years, and she had two years to go. I'm guessing two years to go for her retirement, so she would uh, have an income once she left. She didn't say that, but that's a guess. Excuse me. And she said that she is so sick of the world and what she experiences, the, the, the evil, the debauchery in that public school, that she can't stand going in and that she can hardly get out of bed in the morning. And I can understand what she's saying, but beloved, we cannot remain in that state. We need to be saints. We need to be set apart. Can you imagine if our Lord came to earth and he lived 33 years among us and he said, I can't stand this. I can't stand to go even this three years of ministry. I can't stand to get out of bed in the morning. I'm sick of this world. I'm sick of all the sin. I can't bear to be among it. He came to be among it. And he is holy, not like us unholy creatures who sin. But holiness walked among us. Can you imagine? And someone would say, come on, but he's God. Of course he's God. And we're not, which makes it more difficult for him. Because we are sinful in the midst of a sinful world. We may not be as sinful as some of what we see and experience but we are sinners. And it's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to be who we are. It's time to us to be saints in the world, which is what um, to be sanctified is. It's to be a saint. It's what we're called to be at our baptism, where we are sanctified. That is to say, set apart from the world unto God. That doesn't give us immunity from the sins of the world, even from our own. But we need to grow up into Christ. We need to be, especially in these days where the world is, it's just evil all around us, evil all around us, even among Catholics. Immodesty, foul language, not living the faith, not living the faith. It's terrible. Um, Even what we see in Mass in our Latin church, excuse me, beloved, I I need to sneeze, I think, hold on. So sorry, I have this lingering cold. It's it's awful. I, I sit in mass sometimes and I see the behavior of children and their parents and they say to me, how do we get them to sit still? I said, you can't get them to sit still in church if you don't raise them at home to do that. That's right from the womb on you need to raise your children. Um, They need to know when they come to church who they are, that they're God's people, and they're walking into a holy place with our Lord himself there, just as Israel was before the mountain. Um, We need to be missionaries to the world, beloved. We need to be witnesses. That woman said, well, I try to set a good example. You shouldn't try to set a good example. It means you're not a good example if you try to set one. It's fake. You're trying to be what you know is right. Be that. Come to school full of joy, full of the love of God. That 
doesn't depend on circumstances, beloved. That depends solely on our walk with God, on our love for him, on his real, our realizing his love for us. We go into school with a grateful heart and a shining face and a tremendous amount of hope in the midst of this evil world. And the students and the other teachers will say, what happened to you? What are you so happy about? And you can tell them the truth. If you're putting it on, you cannot tell them the truth. But if it's truly your life, beloved, we walk through this world and I'm, I'm ecstatic every day in the Priory, in the world, in Walmart, whatever it is. I, I just can't believe that I have faith, that we love, that we're Catholic, that we have the truth. And even in the Catholic Church, that is, that the enemy is making every single attempt to destroy from the hierarchy, as Our Lady of Fatima said it would be, right on down. The evil, the debauchery that is going on, the, the, the turning from the faith, the lies, the unfaithfulness. It's terrible. Why can I be happy? I grieve for all this, but I'm ecstatic. Why should I still love? Why should I believe? Why should I have the truth and be willing to live it and never give it up no matter what? How come? Because I'm faithful? Good for me? Absolutely not. I'm as weak as you are, maybe weaker. But God has poured his love on me as he's poured it on you. And we need to pour that out to the world, not be disgusted with it. Yes, disgusted with evil, but have a heart for sinners who are in the midst of that evil to show them by our example the very love of God. Uh, Because it's what exudes from us. We'll be right back, beloved. In St. Faustina's diary we read, I will spend this Advent in accordance with the directions of the Mother of God, in meekness and humility. Learn more about St. Faustina and Divine Mercy on one of our most beloved shows. Stream episodes of Divine Mercy in My Soul right on your iCatholic Radio app, or download the podcasts at iCatholicRadio.com. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the Internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. This is Father Jacek Mazur. Please join me in a prayer honoring St. Francis Xavier Cabrini, Almighty and Eternal Father. 
giver of all gifts. Show us your mercy, and grant, we beseech you, through the merits of your faithful servant, St. Francis, that all who invoke her intercession may obtain what they desire according to the good pleasure of your holy will. Amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be with you and uh, we are happy to take your calls uh, during this next half hour and your text at one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. Um, we have a call from Hannah from Janesville, Wisconsin. Hi, Hannah. <clears throat> are you there, dear one? Yes, Mother Miriam, I'm uh-huh. here. Good. What is your question, sweetie? <laughs> Well, I thought you'd be the perfect person to ask this. Okay. Um, what is the Catholic view on Israel? On it, you know, God made the promises, you know, to Israel, a covenant with Israel, mm-hmm. and his covenants never changed, correct? Well, <clears throat> the problem with that question, Hannah, um, <clears throat> it's not your problem alone. Many people say that we speak of the covenant. But there's at least five covenants, if not more, in the Old Testament. So we need to identify what covenant we're speaking about. That's the problem. So some people say the covenant is, uh, as Paul wrote to the Romans, uh, irrevocable. So that means it still stands. Some say, no, Israel disobeyed, so uh, it's um, abolished. So do you know specifically what you're asking about? <clears throat> or are you just generally asking um, about God's covenant with Israel? I'm trying to think of the word that they use to Abrogated? dispel. No. Um, Abolished? There's something I, uh, to that effect. Uh, right, but here. I'm trying to. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, let me let but, me explain. Uh, to begin with. God made a covenant not with Israel, but with Abraham. Um, Israel didn't exist when God chose Abraham. Abraham was a pagan. He wasn't even a Hebrew. He wasn't a Jew. The Jewish people didn't exist yet. God chose Abraham and made a covenant with Abraham that would be an everlasting covenant. It's the covenant that the Apostle Paul speaks of in Romans when he says the promises of God are irrevocable irrevocable. God does not take that back. It was through Abraham that God made a covenant when he said that through the seed of Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And as we went on, Abram means high and honored father, and God changed his name to, um, it was Abram, Abram, A-B-R-A-M, which means high and honored father. God changed Abram's name to Abraham, meaning a father of many nations. And it would be through Abraham that uh, God would form a people for himself. And, of course, Abraham had um, <clears throat> uh, Esau and Isaac. 
And it would be through Isaac that the promise of God to Abraham would continue. And then Isaac had Jacob and Esau. What did I say? Did I say um, Isaac and Ishmael? And it would be through Isaac. Then Isaac had Jacob and Esau. And it would be through Jacob that the promise would continue. And then Jacob had 12 sons who then grew up and married and had tribes. And they were uh, the, the 12 tribes of Jacob. And one night Jacob strove with God. the angel of the Lord, who was a pre-incarnate Christ at that point, the angel, not an angel, but the angel of the Lord. And God dislocated Jacob's hip. I know there's a longer answer than you asked for, but, but let me explain. It's so important. And so Israel means to strive with God. And God, uh, the word Israel means to strive with God. And God dislocated Jacob's hip and gave him a permanent remembrance, a souvenir, to remember the night that he strove with God and his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. So uh, the 12 tribes of Jacob became the 12 tribes of Israel. And on Mount Sinai... God made a covenant with Israel through Moses, who who led the people Israel um, into the promised land. Well, actually, he didn't get to the promised land himself, um, but he led them through the desert for 40 years. And it was with Israel that God made a covenant. Now, that's the covenant most people speak of, but the covenant that is lasting that is irrevocable, irrevocable is the covenant God made with Abram, with Abraham, that through him, through his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And if we trace the seed of Abraham through Jacob, through one of the 12 tribes, Judah, and then one day through Jesse and through David and all the way to Christ, the seed of Abraham is Christ, as Paul writes to the Galatians. And it would be through Christ, brought from God's people Israel, that he formed through Abraham. Uh, it would be in Christ, the true seed of Abram, the true seed of the woman, that in Genesis 3.15, that all the nations of the world will be blessed. Now, the covenant God made with Abraham is irrevocable. It It will not be taken away. It's not based on Israel's obedience. It's based on God's faithfulness because God put Abraham to death, uh, Abram to death when he made that covenant. It wasn't between Abram and God. It was God's covenant with Abram and it was not to be revoked. The covenant that God made with his people Israel, Hannah, was provisional because they had to learn a way because they were in the midst of a bunch of pagan idols and they had to have a way to live and be formed as the people of God through whom he would bring the Messiah. And so God gave them a covenant at the foot of Mount Sinai. He gave them the Ten Commandments. He gave them hundreds of laws of how to live those Ten Commandments. And he, he said to Israel, If you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. And um, so it was provisional. If they obeyed God, he would bless them. If they disobeyed him, they would curse. He would curse them, but they would still be his people. They are still his people. He called them a stubborn, stiff-necked people. They turned from him many times. God forgave them and brought them back. 
And they are still his people, but they are being persecuted because they disobeyed. And they did break the covenant that God made with Israel, but they had no power to break the covenant that God made with Abraham. It, it was. It would be as if, Hannah, you had children. Do you have children? Yes. Okay. So whatever children you have, Hannah, they're your children. Nothing could could stop that nothing could separate that but you could say to them if you obey me uh you'll be happy or you'll please god or we'll we'll get you a bike for christmas or whatever it is right so if they disobey they'll bear the consequences of that disobedience but they don't stop being your children that's impossible even if they get into drugs and they commit murder and they leave the family they're still your child the same thing with israel they are God's people, and they will forever be God's people, and they are part of God's plan for bringing his son back in the second coming of Christ. But the covenant with Israel, they broke in the desert, and God made a new covenant with him, with them at the Last Supper in his own blood. Hannah, uh, that's the music for the break. We'll be right back. Are you having a hard time keeping up with all that's going on these days in the Vatican? Did you know that LifeSite puts out a monthly print news magazine in beautiful, full color? Our magazine, Faithful Insight, gives you all the most important coverage from Rome and lets you read it away from the computer, phone, or tablet. It summarizes dozens of new happenings down to the essentials, but provides full analysis on all the most important developments. Faithful Insight brings you the coverage of the Vatican that you know and expect from LifeSite in a different form. It has received high praise from cardinals, bishops, priests, and faithful who want to stay abreast of the most crucial battle in our time, the battle for the soul of the Church. Subscribe today at FaithfulInsight.com and may God bless you. If you're new to iCatholic Radio, welcome to the free mobile app of the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. It's available for download on your Android and Apple mobile devices. If you have any questions about your new app, please contact us at thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. That's thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. Through your new app, you can listen to podcasts of shows, conference talks, and prayers. View our programming grid, call us directly, and check out our mobile website. You can even learn how you can promote iCatholic Radio in your community. Connect with us through social media and financially support the programming you love. That's all available on your iCatholic Radio mobile app. Thank you for joining our iCatholic Radio family, proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved. Um, I'm thrilled to be with you, and um, uh, 
I I took quite a while on Hannah's question um, because she was asking about the covenant and the covenant is, she said, is the covenant still the covenant? The covenant God made with Abraham is absolutely the covenant still and uh, it's irrevocable. Uh, read um, uh, Romans chapters 9 through 11. I may have said Hebrews before. It's Romans chapters 9 through 11, particularly chapter 11. And you'll see that, but the covenant God made with Israel on Mount Sinai, Israel broke, and Jesus fulfilled it. He fulfilled the covenant, and um, uh, he did what the nation could not do. And Jesus said, um, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota of the law shall pass away. The Ten Commandments uh, really were the law of God and are the law of God written on our hearts, which God put on stone. That's the moral law, which which remains. <clears throat> so there's a lot to be said there, but the covenant with Abraham. I think one of the best books you could get to understand that further would be a book by Roy Shoman called Salvation is from the Jews. And it's from Abraham to the second coming of Christ. It'd be a wonderful book to get, Hannah. <clears throat> Okay, we have an email from Stephen who says, Good morning, Mother. Thank you for your dedication to his holy church. What is your understanding of the Proto-Evangelium of St. James? I know it is an apocryphal writing in the view of the church, but it plays a special role in the Eastern Catholic Church and the many traditions of the Catholic Church overall in the traditions of the Immaculate Conception the raising of Mary as a sinless child, and the role of Joseph. Why doesn't the church give it more prominence? Uh, Thank you in advance for your assistance. God bless you in your ministry, your servant to a faithful and sovereign God. How beautiful. Stephen, who who, um, has the initials AFC after his name, Ambassador for Christ. I absolutely love that. Um, Stephen... um, Let's see now. Um, what is your understanding? My understanding of the Proto-Evangelium of St. James is it's not infallible scripture, but it was written prior, my understanding, uh, to the Gospels, and it is uh, apparently quite reliable, and it affirms the Immaculate Conception of Our Lady, for sure. Um, let me just see now. Um, it begins the birth of Mary, the Holy Mother of God, and very glorious Mother of Jesus Christ. So it affirms the Immaculate Conception. It affirms her sinlessness. It affirms Joseph's marriage to Mary um, because she was not to have a normal marriage. She was to remain a virgin after marriage. Um, uh, Let's see. I wish I could look up um, to give you a formal definition on it, um, on the proto-evangelical, but that's what it is. It, it's a proto, the first gospel, really. And it was written, uh, understood, written by St. James, um, and uh, again, supports the fact that Mary uh, is ever virgin, that she never had children, Um, after she had our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm not sure 
um, the proto. I just uh, I'm looking at one site here, Catholic Answers, that says the uh, Proto Evangelium records that when Mary's birth was prophesied, her mother Saint Anne vowed that she would devote the child to the service of the Lord, as Samuel had been by his mother. And I would interject there that you remember the purification of Mary in the temple when she was a little girl. She was dedicated to Christ and her. Uh, following after um, Samuel, Hannah, and uh, Samuel being dedicated by his mother in the temple, uh, Mary followed that and dedicated Jesus in the temple. And most of Mary's Magnificat is taken from Hannah's prayer in Samuel. So it's um, it describes um, a life of continual devoted service to the Lord at the temple. And it meant Mary would not be able to live the ordinary life of a child, of a child-rearing mother. She was vowed to, vowed, beloved, to a life of perpetual virginity. So, um, uh, there's many websites you can go to, dear Stephen, um, to get a fuller understanding of the Proto-Evangelium, which you probably already have. Um, and it was of St. James and I think speaks of his childhood and confirms uh, our Blessed Mother's virginity. Um, if the Eastern Catholic Church has many traditions um, that the Latin Church does not have concerning the Proto-Evangelium, it makes sense because it would still be under um, um, uh, a lot of the understanding Jesus was born under the Old Covenant. Mary um, bore Jesus under the Old Covenant. Uh, they followed the Old Law. And so all that St. Saint James would have written about was under the Old Law because the New Covenant did not begin until our Lord's death on the cross. Uh, the Last Supper, the New Covenant in his blood. Um uh, and so just as the Eastern Church celebrates many of the Old Testament saints, St. David, St. Abraham, and so forth, this would be a lot more meaningful or used, uh, put to use in the um, in the Eastern Church. I don't know how much I helped you on that. Probably I confused you more, but let's go on now. Um, all right, now, let me see. Um, we had a call um, off the line um, uh, from a woman who said it, who asks, is it appropriate to celebrate reconciliation? And if so, how should we do it? My son is making reconciliation and he is nervous. Now, I don't know what you mean. If your son is making his first confession, being reconciled to God, um, then he's doing that through a priest, and he needs to take instruction. So, um, of course, it is appropriate to celebrate reconciliation. But I'm see if we reconcile with a person that we've offended, we apologize to them, and hopefully, we're very sincere. Um, if we are reconciling ourselves to God, we need, of course, to apologize and be honest about our sins and uh, make reparation and go before a priest that we could truly confess to God and receive 
the penance that will help us make reparation for the sin. So I can't answer you um, um, beyond that. Um, I, I'm not sure who and what age, um, and your son is making reconciliation. How should he do it? If he's doing it as part of his, let's say, first or second class grade, they would instruct him. Uh, if not, the church would certainly instruct him. No, no one would be allowed to do that um, without getting instruction. So your son, regardless if he's seven years old or 107, the priest who will be hearing his confession should be instructing him. We have a text from someone who writes in anonymously and says, Mother Miriam, a prayerful greeting to you. I haven't listened to a nun so perceptively since Mother Angelica died. We still pray for Mother Angelica and wait for her to be canonized. Thank you for the serious spiritual alert you shared with all who are willing to listen. Thank you for the treasure trove of advice on our need as Catholics to realign our souls, mind, habits, behavior at Mass, and in our daily lives, absolutely, dear one. Mother, what is your opinion on the setting up of carnival-like festivities on church grounds from Sunday to Sunday for Advent and during the Lenten seasons here in South Florida? They should. It should absolutely not happen. 100% not happen. It's not just my opinion. This is a time of penance. Nothing like that should happen. No Christmas fairs. Nothing during Advent and Lent. And she says, why do you think the day of prayer this past Friday is not mentioned at Sunday Mass? It was a Muslim friend in London that informed me. Again, it should have been the day of prayer this past Sunday. And I think you're talking about December 6th. It certainly should have been mentioned. It was very serious. And it was, again, given by four exorcists in Rome to the whole church. The church should have been prepared. Your pastor should have been a true pastor and prepared the church for that day of penance and fasting. It is tragic. Um, It is simply that bishops and priests uh, are not living their faith. And, of course, that doesn't mean Blessed be God, all bishops and priests, but those that don't live their faith. And um, she says, may our sweet Savior bless you, Mother, and your production crew. My production crew is the Station of the Cross, Life Sight News, and I bless God for them every single day. Um, so we we simply live in an unfaithful time, dear one. And um, the, our Lord said, like shepherd, like sheep, and the sheep are going astray by the droves because the shepherds are not shepherding. For any pastor to allow Christmas festivals, uh, uh, carnivals, all of that during Advent is leading his people astray. He is um, not just diminishing the season, but demolishing it. Um, it should not happen. Okay, let me see. Hold on a moment now. I need to get to the next email. It's a text, actually, from someone who writes in anonymously. Mother, please help. I go to a prayer group where we pray the rosary. But then when someone brought something about her husband and someone said, leave him, he will never change, he is set in his old ways. I felt sad. I said to them, I didn't feel the same. 
Just because we pray doesn't mean we are better. In the contrary, our transformation and conversion is taking time, yet God doesn't give up on us. As I want to believe that I can also change by God's grace, how can someone help a person in a similar situation that the woman in my group is in without seeming judgmental? Well, you can't judge anybody's heart. You cannot do that, but you can't tell a woman to leave her husband because he's not going to change. You can't do that. Uh, You need to counsel her to remain in a marriage. She says, I go to a prayer group where we pray the rosary. That's good. But when someone brought something up about her husband, someone said, leave him. He'll never change. He's set in his ways. Well, you have taken a marriage vow till death do you part. If you're married in the church, you don't leave him. If you're being physically abused and beaten and hurt, you need to put yourself out of the range of that abuse. But you don't leave your husband because he won't change. If your husband won't change, you have to change so that you can change him, so that you can bring him to heaven. Because the first vocation of a wife is to bring her husband together. And for that woman to have said something aloud about her husband in the prayer group becomes gossip. She should never have done that. There's no respect on the part of a woman for her husband who simply shares his faults and his failings in a group. Now, if the group is four people and you are our deepest friends and you have deepest respect for one another and you're mature Christians and you share those great needs together, that's okay. But it would never go out of that prayer group and no one in that prayer group would have said such a thing to you. Leave your husband, he'll never change. Because that has no belief in God. There's no faith in that sentence. Can't God change a husband? Hasn't God died for sinners? Haven't many of those awful sinners, adulterers, uh, slanderers, gossipers, all of that, haven't they become saints? Didn't didn't the Apostle Paul said that, that homosexuals and slanderers and murderers and gossips will not enter the kingdom of heaven? And he says, but such were some of you. We all were something. And God has transformed our lives. So it's a, it's a bad prayer group. It's not a good one. It's not a mature group. I would not give counsel in that group. And I would admonish that group to not say those things about their husbands or about other people because they totally degrade them. They don't respect them. And they have no right speaking about them in public. So that's my thought. I'm obviously very strong on that. That is gossip, it's damaging, and it's a grave sin. Okay, Um, that's our closing music, beloved. I'm so sorry, but we will um, um, uh, speak to you tomorrow. almost forgot to say that. We will speak with you tomorrow. God bless you.